This is the Right Guys Podcast, where we try to stay sane in a crazy world every day. And now your hosts, Josh Hammerling and Max McGuire. Welcome back. Another edition of the Right Guys Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. I am Josh Hammerling. Hey, Max, before we get started, can I just... um, I got a friend out there, won't say any names, really needs some prayers right now for something that's really, really, really tough. Uh, I can't mention it to the folks, they've been a long-time listener, but if you're uh, the praying type out there and you want to help uh, pray for a miracle for somebody that truly needs it and deserves it, just put that person in your prayers, you know, just because I believe in the power of prayer and they were, they were really special to me and us. So I hope the best there in my prayers. Spread them. Uh, Send them out, everybody. So thanks for letting me get that out there, Max. No, it's, no. Just, uh, it's important to me. It's important. Very important. It's it's always it's always sad um, when listeners get sick. Or but I, I too believe in the power of prayer. So if we can all lift up those prayers together, um, I think uh, I think put it in, put it in the Lord's hands, right? Yep. That's all we can ask for. So, but they're a good person. So if they do end up uh, leaving this world, I'm I'm confident I'll see him. I'll see him in heaven when I get there. So yeah. anyway, it's it's, it's morbid. It's not, but, it's not well, goodbye. It's it's no. It's not goodbye. It's a. Uh, See you later. See you yeah. soon. Um, well, we've got a bit to talk about today. Um, going to be a little bit of a shorter episode. I have to run immediately after we get off the air. So we're going live a little early. Apologies, people who watch us live. We're going live a little early, and we're going to be cutting it a little short. Um, but I, I figured today would be a good day. There's some stuff going on in the Middle East, but that's still kind of amorphous. We don't know what's going yeah. on there. Yeah. Um, I thought today would be a good day to check in on some of these gun control issues because, obviously... We had a, a mass shooting in Maine okay. just uh, two days ago, two days ago, um, well, yeah. which heartbreaking, heartbreaking. The anti-gun side likes to accuse us of not caring about these things. It's false. Not true at all. Yeah. Um, we just aren't willing to give up our constitutional rights because other people abuse those rights. And Josh, there's still a lot coming out. I heard today that they are dredging a river thinking that he might really? have killed himself and jumped into a river. Mm-hmm. Apparently they went to his house and he left a note or someone left a note wow. and that led them to start kind of putting divers in the river. So we'll see what happens there. But one of the, one of the things that have has come out pretty early on in this case, there's one or two things that always seems to be said in these police briefings, basically the same thing, just two different ways to say it. And those are, the police saying that, quote, he was on our radar, end quote, or he was, quote, known to law enforcement, end quote. And this is unfortunately another situation like that, where if this is, if the person that the media is talking about is the one who did this, he has been known to law enforcement. And I believe, Uh Josh, I was reading that he was actually admitted to a mental health facility Uh and that law enforcement helped him do that. We'll have to wait for the specifics on whether that was an involuntary admission or mm-hmm. a voluntary admission, because that will change whether or not that affects your right to own a gun. But mm-hmm. if the police knew he was dangerous and they knew enough to get him mental health, you hope you hope that law enforcement and, and prosecutors will use any of the many tools at their disposal to to stop him from doing terrible, terrible well, damage to the community. But they didn't. It's impossible to know the, the, the minds of madmen, Max. That's why when these th- things come out and they always go after our, our Second Amendment rights, it's like the, these are the crazy actions of bad people. 
There's nothing right up there when, when this stuff happens. And they always want to call, blame the gun, call the guns the, the bad guys, you know, call us the bad guys for still supporting our right to, to want to do this. We we hate mass shootings. I find it difficult and disgusting. I mean, we were talking about this before the show, and you're like, do you want to talk about this? And I was like, no, I don't want to give him any any more of the spotlight. Gonna, right? We're not going to use his name. I never use yeah, his name. Yeah, and, it, you know, it, and you just can't help but talk about it because this is the big thing, especially when it comes to our gun rights. And imagine, you know, a lot of those folks, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent of being armed and prepared wherever you go. There are limitations to that in at least some buildings. And depending on the state you live in, they will try to heavily limit that wherever you may be. Right. Yeah. There's, you know, <laughs> I can't remember if it was Michigan or uh, was it California where you can really only have it on the sidewalks. Right. I mean, that's kind yeah. of how they end up writing the laws. And you can never stop these things. You can't. You just won't be able to. That is the reality of it. But you can be prepared. And that's what I that's what I do. I train people for those moments. Right. Are people still going to get hurt? Well, yeah, you, you train for the worst. You hope for the best. You pray to God for a great outcome. And then you you move and you act. Yeah. And this thing, it's just disgusting. I, part of me wants to also yell, man, right on, right on cue, right? You've got yeah. all kinds of things happening in the world and then boom, another big mass shooting. I, I, I don't like to be the conspiracy theorist type, so I'm not going to throw some theories out there. It always seems to happen. It's right on cue. Right? It always seems to happen that way. Always on cue. A perfect cue, Max. Not just like yeah. a little bit coincidental, like, like. Like there was a script, but no proof. Yeah. Yeah, but that's no, what it no, feels no like. It. Yeah. yeah, it definitely feels that way. It's it's kind of like the way it felt when Jack Smith would bring indictments. It was always the day after major news broke against yeah. Biden and Hunter Biden. Right, something would happen there, and then the next day there'd be a major development, and you're like, okay, well, it's very obvious what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it certainly feels that way here too. Um, yeah. The carry stuff. Um, you're absolutely right. There's a push around the country. We've talked about this on the show before, but when the Supreme Court last year released their opinion in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, they shut down like a century of of carry bans that had been in place in New York, New Jersey, kind of Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maryland, California, Hawaii, right? All these liberal states shut it down. And those states had basically said, you can apply, but if we don't like you and we don't want you to carry, we can just say no for any reason. Yeah. So they shut that down and said, no, you can't arbitrarily block someone who's law-abiding from carrying a gun. And now what have all those states done? They followed up by changing their laws Mm -hmm. to basically say, okay, fine, you're going to force us to let citizens carry. Well, we're going to change where they're allowed to carry. And they're not even trying to hide that. They're not even trying to hide yeah. the fact that this yeah. is a direct response to being forced to allow law-abiding citizens to defend themselves in public. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have this. I'm not, we won't read all of it, but um, uh, share my screen. Sorry. Share screen. Uh, this is from New Jersey. So it's a, a New Jersey case. I think it's called Platkin versus Coons. Coons versus Platkin, challenging the constitutionality of what New Jersey is doing. And I'll just read. This is their admission in their introduction. 
In the wake of Bruin, the New Jersey legislature took those lessons to heart. New Jersey recognized that it could no longer require individuals to establish their justifiable need to obtain a carry permit. Instead, the legislature canvassed firearm policies in other states, assessed the historical record, and, as relevant here, adopted three kinds of policies. First, the legislature restricted carrying of firearms in designated sensitive places to protect residents at inter alia courthouses, polling places, public assemblies, schools, playgrounds, zoos, parks, public libraries, public buses, bars, stadiums, casinos, and hospitals. Second, the legislature protected the rights of property owners by ensuring that others could not carry firearms onto their private property without permission first. And third, the legislature required individuals to have liability insurance before carrying guns in public to deter negligence and ensure compensation is available to victims of unintentional firearm misuse. Wow. Wow. So if you have liability insurance, it almost guarantees that no matter what happens, you get sued. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. They're claiming that this is going to be covered by your homeowner's insurance. Whoa. Uh, that, that's what they're Whoa. actually in court. Yeah, Whoa. I, 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 I'm a nerd on these things. and I was listening yesterday. Uh, they had oral arguments in this case. Uh, it was in front of the appellate level. And the state actually made the claim that this requirement for insurance – it doesn't matter that there isn't any insurance, there aren't any insurance companies that offer this concealed carry protection, mm-hmm. right? They claim that your homeowner's insurance and your renter's insurance will cover it. Oh, who? That's. Were... You will not get a policy if you own no. a gun. They will not take the liability, yeah. period. It forces you to be completely exposed. Oh, I didn't think about it that way. Legally. I didn't think Who's about Who's going to want to cover you? No one will do it, Max. So what happens if something were to go wrong, and then suddenly the 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 burden of that 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 exposure lies on you? Yeah. So you'd have to pay out of pocket. It almost guarantees that people would be personally sued, and then yeah. their lives destroyed. Yeah, wow, I, I was thinking about really the other way. Me. I was like, thinking listen. that I don't think that they'll actually cover this. Uh, we're not talking about a delivery person slipping and falling on an icy sidewalk, right? Sure. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about you across the threshold. In another city, another another town, defending yourself, um, very questionable whether your homeowner's insurance is going to cover that, yeah. especially if you get Whoa. charged with a crime. If you end up getting charged with a crime for defending yourself and the state wants you to, like, figure it out in court, yeah. hard to believe that, that that's not going to fall under, like, a, a criminal act or gross negligence exception. Yeah. But I, I wasn't thinking about the other part. Like... Uh, we just did. We just redid our homeowners insurance last year because we got yeah. a new roof, and basically we told our homeowners insurance, "Hey, we have a new roof on the house. It's brand new. It's uh, it's hail protected, so we got a discount, right?" But when you apply for your homeowners insurance, you give them all the details about what you expect mm-hmm. to, to need to be covered, how old your house is, whether you have a fire alarm, right? Whether you have smoke yeah, detectors, yeah. all that. Imagine there being a little thing on the bottom that says, "Do you own guns?" Yeah. And if you say yes, bam, your your homeowner's insurance doubles. <laughs> your rates either go through the roof or they just drop yeah. you. Imagine if you're in a state where there's already a lot of violent crime. I mean, they would just drop your policy. <clears throat> yeah. And then you're you're scrambling to find somebody who's going to cover you. And if you can't find one, oh, my gosh, Max, imagine that nightmare. And then if there is a company that will decide to do it, your rates will be through the roof. Yeah. I mean, it'll be. Add, a, add an order of magnitude behind what you're paying, at least, you know, add a zero. Yeah. Add a zero. So that's it, obviously yeah. unconstitutional. 
the other part of this New Jersey bit is that they have presumed that private property is automatically a no-go place. That is the opposite yeah. of how this is treated nationwide. If yeah. you have a permit to carry, you're allowed to carry everywhere unless you're prohibited. Mm-hmm. So they are de facto blanket banning all private property unless the property owner says, yes, you can, which I'm sure some pro-gun places will. Yeah. But in places like New Jersey, the vast majority won't do it. Right, so it's backwards. Yeah, yeah, it's backwards the way it's supposed to be. So let's say if you were you lived in a place like upstate New York, right, where you've got a big property or just lots of land, and then you have to put up a sign that says uh, "CCW people welcome," right? Guns welcome yeah. here. Well, the first thing it does is it labels you. The state yeah. can be like, "Look at those! They had their gun nuts. They've got those signs up. They they look like they could be potential terrorists, domestic yeah. terrorists." Second. Anybody that knows anything knows that there's guns there now. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go get them, go get them. Wait for closing time. Wait for the owner to be walking out to his car, yeah. hop up behind him, put a gun against his head, and take his gun. And, and what happens if somebody comes into your business and they arrest them, and you don't tell them in time that they're allowed to have that gun, and they charge them anyway with the charge? Yeah. Right. Imagine those little charges that'll just start popping up from it. I mean, it gives the state way too much power. And who yeah. are you to say whether I, I want somebody on my private property or not to possess that weapon? Who's the government to say such a thing? Yeah. Screw that. You're not in control. Well, just, the, th- the third bit is that they've taken the sensitive places, which the Supreme Court had said would be like schools and government buildings, and they've expanded that to include everywhere that people congregate. So sure. if if there's another person there that you might need to defend yourself against... You can't carry. You can only carry in places where people don't gather, which negates the need to carry. Um, if you're going to be somewhere that there's no one else going to be there, yeah. who, are you, who are you defending yourself from? I mean, I guess animal, wildlife, things like that. Um, but you have the right to defend yourself from other human beings and a blanket ban anywhere where people gather. Um, ridiculous. Well, it's like, spray painting a really big target on them. And if you yeah. are a bad hombre and you decide to come in and, you know, pull this, you know, something like a Steve Scalise shooting, just show up to a park where everybody's at. Yeah. How did you defend yourself? I was in a public place. That is the one place I should be able to protect myself. I am far more exposed in a public place than I am in a private place usually. Because yeah. in a private place, they might check you at the door. There might be a check your weapons at the door or don't bring them in, which, you know, a private company's allowed to do. So the, the reasoning is, is that if I'm in a private location, I'm, I'm quote unquote safer, but in public, I mean, it's, it's a crap shoot. You don't know who's going to come rolling up in cars. You don't know who's walking through the sidewalks. You don't know who's coming through the trail on the park. Yeah. And the, the most dangerous animal out there is on two legs. I'm protecting myself yeah. really against people. And they're terrifyingly oh. smart. I want to show you this and and see what you think of this. This is from an organization called 99%. They're basically claiming that they're claiming to speak for 97% of the people. And this was a poll that they did. Please indicate where you think that people in general should be able to carry or use a gun in the following situations. This was asked of gun owners. And Josh, right here at the end, I'll see if I can zoom in so you can see it. Right at the end. Uh, in their private home, 15% of gun owners reportedly 
said that the government should ban your ability to carry a gun in your own home. Bullshit. <laughs> These guys are a joke. I that's don't what believe they're, that's what they're for putting. a second. So they put an tw- Yeah, 29% say you should be allowed to carry a gun in your home, but there should be restrictions. What? Nobody says that. What, what are we? What, no. what is this? Like, who goes to the, like, hey, listen, I'm going to need you to make an infographic, but I really need you to skew the, skew yeah. the information in our favor. Do you think you pull that yeah. off for me? That's all this is. And, and what was yeah. the size of their, you know, their. their oh, I don't have that. Uh, I, bet, I, bet it's, I bet it's a few hundred people. And they, and they choose all FUDs, right? Sure. And, and they went to a, a community college when they asked people about it, too. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Like one of the most yeah. liberal states in the country. Yeah. What a joke. No, like, it's uh. I just I saw this and it made me it made me laugh. But then you think, well, what if this is actually is how a lot of people think? Because even if they don't are a majority, they still found people to say this. They still yeah. found people to say they still f- asked a bunch of people who own guns and 30 and 44 uh, percent of them said you shouldn't be allowed to have unrestricted carrying of firearms in your home. Either have some restrictions or a complete ban. That's crazy. And you see outdoors. 16% says you shouldn't be allowed to carry outdoors, even in open areas. 30% says you shouldn't be able to carry in your car. 51% says not no carrying in shopping centers. 54% say you can't carry in offices. 55% say churches should be fair game for mass shooters. And it just gets worse for bars, college campuses, school grounds, and courts. Those are like some of the most dangerous places you have because that is where people do mass shootings. Yeah. That's where they show up. How often do we hear it was somebody at work? They walked into a school and then somebody had to respond. Yeah. You know, if I was a teacher, I'd want to be able to pop off the moment that something happened. And then you, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Has anybody yeah. ever told you that? Like, I, I feel like I shouldn't, like most people shouldn't be carrying in public. Maybe it's just I'm surround myself um, with some people. That I, I have, people. but I used to live in New Jersey. Right. And I went to school in Boston. So there's a lot of those people there who believe that. Um, so they, they truly do believe that. The really sad thing about all of this is that I know a lot of people in New Jersey who have been fighting to repeal that carry ban, that justifiable yeah. need ban that the Supreme Court ultimately did overturn using the New York uh, analogous example. But um, they've just been they're They're more law abiding than police officers. Like, like, especially New Jersey, New Jersey's got some corrupt cops, no offense, cops in New Jersey. But if you're in New Jersey, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I, I know I, I'm not, that's not Blake's statement. I know police officers who were forced to retire because they were corrupt. Um, and they probably should have been prosecuted, but they were forced to retire. Um, so they finally get the right to carry. And in New Jersey, the way the law worked is with very few exceptions, the laws that allowed police officers to carry were the same laws that governed civilian carry, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Police officers could carry in a couple extra places like schools, but like the regulations around carrying in a bar applied to civilians the same way they applied to cops. Mm-hmm. So for a hundred years, almost New Jersey was okay with their preferred people carrying everywhere. But now that they're forced to actually allow people to carry, They've suddenly changed their mind and said you should carry, be able to carry nowhere except for your own home and the sidewalk. <laughs> Imagine if 
somebody does end up getting popped with a gun somewhere. Well, you know, there's going to be a massive lawsuit, but their life falls apart now. Yeah. Right. They will, it will bankrupt them to come out right on the other end if it does. Yeah. Right. But it, it puts you, you don't have to go to jail for a moment. They just have to bankrupt you. All they have to do is weaponize their, the law. And that's all they're doing here. It's just weaponizing the law. And it's ridiculous. This is, it's the most asinine things to say. Like you can't carry in a public place. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense like in a, in a grocery store how's that a sensitive place what's a sensitive yeah. place even mean i mean what's the definition for a sensitive place someone that had you know some place that has uh, x amount of kids versus adults and a learning environment right i'm sure there's a definition there's gotta well, be a definition. what the what the supreme court has said is places that have historically been banned like where historically you haven't been allowed to carry guns Places like a courthouse, like a county jail. You can't just yeah. walk in with your own gun, right? I'm okay with um, those. And the Supreme Court also said, if you can't find a historical precedent for it, but there's like a really new thing that you just, it just it's brand new, like airplanes, right? Mm-hmm. The founders wouldn't have had a problem with you having a gun on a stagecoach, but they couldn't have, env- they, they couldn't have envisioned airplanes and, and, and that. So what the Supreme Court said is basically you can't look at the laws allowing guns on stagecoaches and assume that that also protects loaded guns on airplanes um, because airplanes represent such a, a significant technological advancement um, that that requires um, certain security measures. But, like, they, they want to ban guns in, in bars. Look at what just happened in Maine. Yeah. Now, Maine law allows you to carry a gun in a bar as long as you're not inebriated. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of states around this country, especially New Jersey, California, where you can't, if you want to go to a restaurant that serves alcohol, you can't carry a gun. Yeah. You're just forced to just sit there and just be a be a target. Imagine going in Chipotle, trying to buy a burrito. They sell beers. <clears throat> yeah, margaritas too. You can't, you couldn't walk into, you know, I don't know what, what they have on the East Coast restaurant wise that serves alcohol, but if they serve a beer, they got a lot. We got a lot of alcohol. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> but, that, you know, knowing that all those yeah. places do serve beers, you would be limiting people and they would just paint a target. Now, I don't want drunk pe- much drunk people, you know, hanging out with guns, but your designated driver, they should be your designated carry for the group, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, plan this stuff out, people. But that that person can no longer exist. That they are more comfortable with people getting behind the wheel of a car drunk than they are carrying a gun into a bar. Yeah, I've said this on the show before, but um, I love the Nevada law, where your your drunk driver at point oh eight BAC, and you're in illegal possession of a firearm if you blow a point one zero. Point one. So wow. You can be drunker wow. with a gun than you can be behind the bar. Now, you can say it can be behind a, a wheel. You can yeah. say that that's too far, right? But the other side of that coin is if you are a drinker and you are frequenting these taverns, these establishments, casinos, whatever, well, casinos usually won't let you carry, you're frequenting bars, you don't have to start a fight to find yourself in one. No. Right. And and that's like the flip side of it. You don't want inebriated people having guns, but also at the same time, why should inebriated people or someone just sitting at the bar having one drink that isn't taking them anywhere near inebriation? 
why does that require them to be completely uh, disarmed? These are legitimate questions. You bet. Le- legitimate questions. So the other side of this flip coin is they're racing to restrict where you can carry. Yeah. And they are clinging for dear life to their assault weapon bans that prohibit what you can carry. I've shown this on the on the show before, but this is my daily carry. It's an FN 509. It has a threaded barrel, um, and I plan to put a compensator on it because I think it's a little snappy for my liking, and a compensator will probably help me uh, with a little bit more accuracy and won't hurt my wrist as much. <laughs> but, yeah, well, listen, it, it, it's a snappy gun. If you want to fire yeah, 15 yeah, yeah. rounds really quickly, it's, it's right. snappy. And not nearly as snappy as some of the other guns I've had. Um, but... I think the compensator will help it a lot because it's, it's generally a smaller gun in New Jersey and California. The fact that it has a threaded barrel where you would put a compensator makes it an assault weapon. It's automatically an assault weapon. So something that you would use to either attach a suppressor Presser. to protect your hearing mm-hmm. or a compensator to ensure that you are accurately firing the weapon is deemed to be a danger to society. That's the craziest part because they don't know what these things do, but they sit there and still try to label them as dangerous. I mean, it's safer to shoot a gun with a suppressor and it makes it bigger. You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. think about it. It's harder to even carry. I don't, I don't and, see how it becomes more dangerous the moment you put a threaded barrel on it. And it's not nearly as quiet as the movies make it out to be. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> not even close sometimes. Not even close. Getting on the round. Yeah. I wanted to show you a couple things because these, you're seeing that these different states are taking different approaches to try and save their assault weapon bans. This is um, an argument that was put forward by uh, Cook County in Illinois. And, I want, and I'll just read a little bit of it. It says, the ammunition often used in civilian AR-15s, the 5.56-223 caliber cartridge was adopted by the U.S. military for its use in its assault weapons, specifically because of its lightweight and ability to deliver reliable lethality. Pause. Little fact check. The ammunition, and I talk about this in my book, which I will put on the screen because (laughs) it's right there. Do it. The 223 is is basically, it comes from uh, 222 and the 224, but 222, which was a varmint cartridge, which was used to hunt prairie dogs and coyotes. Um, the, they didn't use like a bear killer round. These were varmint rounds. Um, also, the U.S. military in part chose 223 because it wasn't always quite as lethal as a bigger caliber mm-hmm. bullet was. And in war, generally, you want to... Yes, kill the enemy, but if you can injure them and force two other people to come out of hiding to try and put them on a stretcher, that's two more targets. Um, so they're saying that they should be allowed to ban assault weapons, so-called assault weapons, because the 223 is massively powerful, which well, if, you, <laughs> if you know 223, yeah. it isn't. And just this last bit, they said, when a bullet hits the human body, a permanent cavity is created by the mass of the bullet crushing and tearing through tissue. A temporary cavity is created by the dispersion of kinetic energy radially from the permanent cavity path. That is true. 
What I'm not quite sure I believe is this next part. Dr. Hargarden and researchers found that the energy release of a 5.56 caliber bullet and the temporary cavity created are both over three times the size of the 45 caliber bullet's temporary cavity from the fully automatic Thompson machine gun. So they took a semi-auto AR-15 with a 2.23 round Mm -hmm. and a Tommy gun, a fully automatic machine gun, shot it, and they said that the 2.23 created a bigger cavity that is not my experience josh now 223 has other problems it will move around your body it yeah, will it not tumbles. stay it'll tumble but generally i mean like i have some of these things like, yeah look, yeah so like, eugene stoner created the ar the m16 right yeah when he created the the platform it was to put lighter weight inside the rifle meaning that you reduce the weight from the 308 and you had a higher capacity right and yeah. there was actually drawbacks to it because 223556 is not as lethal as those big 308 rounds were and 45 like it it up close now how close was the target that they shot that, with the 45 or, or how far away yeah how far yeah. away if it's 200 yards away then maybe but like if, if 45... i if i only have one round I'm not choosing the 55 grain 22 caliber bullet. I'm choosing like the 230 grain yeah. hollow point 45. Yeah. Like that that's that's what I'm choosing. This runs counter to everything I've ever like read about and learned about. Yeah, 223 can be devastating, but come on. Like it, it's very obviously not the preferred weapon of incapacitating someone. No, in terms and of a bullet lot of, weight, a lot of the energy of the two two three requires a twenty inch barrel. Yeah, otherwise you lose a lot of muscle, you know, muscle velocity, and a lot of uh, foot pounds coming out of the barrel. It, it's just not there. A forty five up close is no joke. No, the reason no it was chosen, it will, it, it will take down. I mean, it's it's not a one stop shopper. It's it'll not take it'll take down a Japanese zero as we it, talked about yeah. on the show, but. Uh, you know, the biggest K, you know, secondary cavity is always from like a shotgun. Yeah. The thing oh, that yeah. they're telling us to get, right? It's oh, yeah. less lethal. And it's like, hey, have you seen the lethality of a shotgun up close? Like a, a sled slug? Well, let's go to this because I, I, yeah. we can bounce around a little bit. But this is from, I believe this is a California expert, 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 mm, quote unquote, who has been brought in. It's either California Cook County. It's one of these cases, the expert, former ATF agent, giving his advice on what he thinks gun owners should use for self-defense. And this is him saying that the AR-15 is just too complicated to use in a stressful situation. What? During a home invasion or break-in, there may be multiple steps required by the operator to bring the weapon from a safe condition to a firing condition. Manipulating the charging handle, safety switch, or inserting a magazine may be difficult to accomplish under stress, particularly if the operator has not adequately trained or practiced with their firearm. That's true. But uh, other family members may not be familiar with bringing the weapon to a firing condition. So an AR-15 weighs six point six and a half to seven pounds, nice. requires two hands to aim and fire. In a home defense scenario, a homeowner would likely be attempting to call 911 when addressing the intruder, which is difficult, if not impossible, when wielding the AR-15 effectively and safely. They're saying that you can't have an AR-15 because you need to be able to call 911. And you can't do that with a two-handed weapon. 
if I'm holding my AR, I'm not worried about dialing 911 until the situation's over. I, I'm, I'm ready to go with my rifle. This same expert who says you need to be able to have two hands says um, that his preference, what he recommends, is a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun. <laughs> so, like, to say that you can't handle an AR because you need two hands and one hand should be calling out one, to then say that you need a 12-gauge shotgun is ridiculous. Is ridiculous. 12-gauge buckshot up close will obliterate yeah. its target. Obliterate it. You will cause a wound that is tremendous on the backside, right? It kind of goes in. If you had a lead slug, you're already talking about a half-inch hole you're putting into them, right? The amount yeah. of energy as it carries through is going to be tremendous. But, Max, when they made the AR-15 rifle, Eugene Stoner made it simple to use. A charging handle, the safety, the, the bolt catch release, it was designed to be used in high stress situations. That's why it was just created. So, just so we're clear, what he's saying is too stressful. Is that? Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on. And then going this to is... safety. Yeah. Anybody who shot one knows that this thing is lightning quick, and yeah. I can shoot with one hand yeah. with the AR if I need to, because usually it's only six or seven yeah. pounds. It's lightweight. Have yeah. you ever held a really, really heavy double barrel shotgun that's made for goose? I mean, those things can weigh yeah. eight or nine pounds. That's heavy. And that's actually kind of unwieldy. The other solution, and you're not going to hear this from the expert, is to store your firearms in a locked condition, but also ready to fire. So like my 1911 yeah. is stored with one in the chamber in a holster with a hammer cock safety on. 1911 has a number of safeties. It's got this grip safety, has the manual yep. safety, and then it's the holster protecting anything from your booger hook from touching the bank switch. Yep. Um, that is then put in a little touch safe, and it's there. So in a situation where I need to defend myself with that, I don't need to fiddle with how to rack the slide or anything. I, I just have to flick the safety. I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on someone's ability to safely store those firearms in a, in a locked in and ready to fire configuration, that's going to ultimately depend on them. But notice that he's not telling that. And no. when he, <laughs> he says that his first recommendation for handguns is an eight shot, 38 caliber, 357 revolver. How old do you think this guy is? Oh, it's got to be ancient, man, because uh, a 38 caliber plus, plus P he's putting in there. I mean, 38 yeah. was, was, was eventually was changed to the nine millimeter because a 38 just has under penetration. You get up to a 357 Magnum, then you've got, I mean, that's a, that's over penetration. I mean, 357 yeah. Magnum is a really powerful round. Yeah. You know, it's on par with 10 millimeter as it comes out of the, the barrel. But I, but I, I haven't heard a revolver. Somebody, I haven't heard someone in a very long time recommend a revolver for home defense. I mean, there, there's, there's reasons to get it. Like yeah. uh, if you have elderly parents or grandparents who might have difficulty racking a slide of a semi-automatic sure. pistol, then it makes sense for them to have uh, a revolver. But he's saying that the revolver is perfect in a high stress situation. Josh, I don't know about you, but I am far better at reloading a semi-automatic than I am at reloading a revolver. 
yeah, reloading over unless you know you're unless you got speed like clips, Culloch or something like yeah, that. Jerry you can Mitchell do the super speed loads. You know, I can train most people to you know put in the mag and slide the rack, and it's it's pretty fast. I can barely find the. I got to look for the holes to put the the round yeah. in now from distance, yeah. right? I I do know police officers that carry that like a secret gun underneath their their vest, mm-hmm. so it's called the the old crap gun, right? Because you, yeah, you can put it into somebody and you put mm-hmm. five into them, right? But for the most part, you've only got five shots. And once you blow through those not five shots, it's not, it yeah. wouldn't be my go-to. I want a high yeah. capacity magazine. I want a 15 yeah. round magazine that, and a, and a spare right next to it. Yeah. 30 he, would be great, but it's Colorado. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to show it, but he also said that, um, the AR 15 is just as dangerous as an M4 fully automatic, um, assault rifle. How so? so it, very bad expert, but this yeah. is what. This is what the left is bringing, what they're bringing to the table. This is insane. I mean, nobody, let's bring in the worst expert that we can yeah. find. And then we'll put that person up as our, as the one who helps us make all of this, all of these laws and rules. It's just, it's insane. Max. Why, why? I mean, they do it so they can keep the weapon, assault weapons banned, but the reasoning is just, it doesn't make any sense. And no one calls out the lies. Yeah. You I want to. Go ahead, finish it. Finish it. I was gonna say, I, I wish people, I hope people see it for what it is, but unfortunately, not because these are parts of laws that get passed. Yeah, you know, we've what? talked about this guy before, but this is Judge Roger Benitez. He is a judge in a district court judge in California, and he's the guy who overturned California's high capacity magazine ban and most recently overturned their assault weapon ban. And I want to share a few of the things that he put because i thought his decision was great highly recommend everyone go read it um read this latest decision you can find it on a fpc firearm policy coalition they have all these uh drafts and and orders and opinions on their website see he so he didn't listen to the experts instead he did his own research and he's able to find a couple of examples in the in the mid 19th century mid 1800s of people using high capacity for the time rifles to defend themselves. I'll read one of these stories. Um, in 1865, two Civil War veterans who kept their Henry repeating rifles, kept the rifles that they were given in the war, were mining borax in the Blackfoot Indian country of the Rocky Mountains when 40 warriors, 40 Indian warriors, attacked them. The attackers made the fatal mistake of assuming the miners had only single shot rifles. The two miners were able to keep firing at the attackers, eventually wiping them out and discouraging all future attacks. It is a perfect example of civilians outnumbered by attackers successfully using high-capacity rifles for self-defense. Another example comes from the 1863 story of James E. Wilson. Wilson was attacked in his home with his family by seven armed men firing shots. Grabbing his Henry repeating rifle, Wilson defended himself by killing the seven home invaders with eight shots. With the popularity of these deadly high-capacity lever-action rifles, it is telling that there are no state laws from the time banning possession or manufacturing of these firearms in the state's law list. What a what a statement! Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but that's the point. They're there for self-defense, and who, even back then, who didn't want to have more bullets? Yeah, right. It's always been reloading gets you killed. It does. That is the most dangerous thing that you run, that, that you run into in a, in a gunfight is is having to reload. 
Yeah. You know, it is life or death. And it, you want to start with the maximum number of bullets possible. That way you can keep the opponents at bay. And if nobody believes that, we can go run a drill where I only say you can pull this trigger five times to take on 10 people. Okay, yeah. well, maybe I get two or three. If I get all five, that's great. I'm really impressed with that dude's shot. He killed seven with eight shots. Yeah. You know, it was probably <laughs> the last shot, which is How about the message. The two guys with two repeating lever action rifles killing all 40. 40. Think about that. Yeah. And then most of those only hold like eight. But, yeah. you know, you can so load them pretty, yeah. pretty quick. You know, and then yeah. you can put them on the side. That just shows you the effectiveness of, of, of these tools for self-defense. And those guys, the guns that they used to defend themselves against that group of 40 Native Americans, the guns they had were military rifles that they were allowed to take home with them. So yeah. you can't even say that, like, oh, we've always prohibited high-capacity military rifles from being owned by civilians. No, that's no. an example right there of how that's not the case. Um we built our own at the start of the revolution. They got to take them home after the Civil War. You yeah. used to be able to buy the, the, the Henry Thompson repeating rifle, the very one that they said was dangerous, out of the catalog and have it yeah. delivered to your house, Yeah, which is the way it should, should still be. I mean, yeah. the government does not need to know what I own. <laughs> and if it was so dangerous, why weren't people walking through the streets shooting each other up with them? They weren't. Judge Benitez went on to say, uh, it's remarkable to discover that there were no outright prohibitions on keeping or possessing guns, no laws of any kind. Based on close review of the state's law list and the court's own analysis, there are no founding era categorical bans on firearms in this nation's history. Though it is the state's burden, even after having been offered a clear opportunity to do so, the state has not identified any law anywhere at any time between 1791 and 1868 that prohibited simple possession of a gun. Wow. This guy deserves a cupcake <laughs> and a cup of coffee. I mean, wow. But it's true, though. I mean, yeah. that's, that's been the heart of America since the beginning. It has only been since like the 60s and 70s-ish where these crazy liberal ideas started showing up that you couldn't protect yourself or it was safer for others. We lived in a, a fairly safe time when... All you could do is order a revolver and a forty-five over at the lo local hardware store. So that's where you used yeah. to buy your guns. Was at the hardware store. Yep. And that changed. You know how many kids bought Sears. their first forty-five right after World War II? Yeah. Because they were all Sears, surplus. Sears and Roebuck. Sears yeah. and Roebuck catalog too. Absolutely. Yeah. Sears was a great manufacturer. You can even find some of those old stamp shotguns they had. It's just this crazy, one, uh, Max. This one was bought a long time ago in a Sears and Roebuck catalog. <laughs> That one I can make. Yeah, I've got no, I've got no guy. I've got a Mosin around here that yeah. you know was probably yeah, made yeah, in a Russian yeah. factory. That's about as old as I can get. My all my stuff's fairly modern, but there's no out, there's no laws out there that ban it. So when they try to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't so find in this analysis, he also said that they couldn't find a historical twin. So none of the oh. historical limitations that that have ever been in place justify what they've tried to do since 1989, 1990. He says, the same can be said about California's assault weapon ban. To paraphrase the Supreme Court, none of these historical limitations on the right to bear arms approach California's complete ban on assault weapons. None of the early nation's laws operate to prevent, pre prevent law-abiding citizens with ordinary self-defense needs from possessing rifles, shotguns, or pistols. So what analog for the assault weapon ban does the state rest its case on? There are no founding-era dead ringers or historical twins. 
A historical twin is not unimaginable. It could have been the case that the early states prohibited ownerships of rifles and muskets with bayonet attachments or firearms capable of multiple shots without reloading. One could imagine the states prohibiting private possession of cannons or Gatling guns, but there were no such restrictions. No such restrictions. Wow. I want a Gatling gun next. You can. I really do. You can get them. They're not machine guns. They're out there. They're not machine guns. Yeah, because it's still motor driven. But even then, the idea of having a machine gun, I mean, it's its lawful, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, That's going to be the next shoe to drop. The next shoe yeah. to drop is going to be that um, they might be dangerous, but they're not unusual because there are hundreds of thousands owned by civilians in the United States today. Same with SBRs, SBSs, uh, uh, suppressors. suppressors. Because yeah. when the Supreme Court upheld the right for you to have a stun gun, that was a case in Massachusetts a couple of years ago. They rested that in, by claiming that it was in common use and therefore protected because there were 200,000 in the country. Well, so if, millions. I know. If that's the standard, getting some full auto, getting some sawed-off yeah. shotguns, that's standard. But these were laws that were created to take your rights and punish yeah. you for them, right? Yep. Imagine all of the people who've been convicted of gun crimes. Like, how many of those would have to be vacated Yeah. once that happens? And they should be, yeah. rightfully yeah. so. Rightfully right? So. I don't care. Even if they're not, even if they're pieces of crap, I mean, at least that part of the conviction, rightfully so, yeah. should be gone. And yeah. that needs to happen. That needs to happen fast. That needs to happen fast. Well, we are out of time. I got to end the show early today. Um, I got I to gotta go run. But um, we're going to keep an eye on this because they're, they're clinging to these old gun control laws begging liberal judges to let them stay on the books. It's going to be interesting to see how they twist the English language and bastardize the Supreme Court's rulings to try and keep these in place. That's it for this edition of the podcast. If you like the podcast, make sure you subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and Podbean. Those links are in the description. We go live on Rumble and YouTube, so check us out there as well. That's it for this edition of the podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And I'm Josh Hammerling. Remember, the fight to take back the country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all step and fight together. See you next week.